Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the church and spiritual warfare. During this series, Kevin Connor's best-selling book, The Church in the New Testament, is available at 50% off as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org. Select monthly special. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to uh, two passages of Scripture, even though we have a short time. Let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, and then I want to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Matthew chapter 16, and I'd like to uh, read from verse uh, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you, You've said something to me, I'm going to say something to you. I say also unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the Amplified puts it this way, as far as the Greek tense is concerned. Whatever you will bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Now let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'd like to read from verse 10 through to 20. Ephesians 6 verse 10 through to 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness of the margin, has uh, wicked spirits in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am um, an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Now I'm just going to have to condense uh, what we need to say this morning. I want to pick up just a, another section of what we're doing in our series that we're sharing together on the church and spiritual warfare. And uh, in the last uh, several sessions that we've been sharing together, just sort of a very brief summary of what we've been covering in our first, seven, uh, first session uh, together, we particularly took up the whole thought that the church is in spiritual warfare. And when we think of the attack on the church, 
the attack on families, husbands and wives, children, and just the whole disintegration of marriage in our society and uh, just continually bombarded through the media, through the television, the boob tube from hell, and uh, the radios and the magazines and all this type of thing. Just the attack on the family, and if we have weak families, we have weak churches. If we have strong families, we have strong churches. Attack the family and destroy the family, you destroy society, you destroy the church. And so uh, we don't have to uh, remind ourselves that we are all uh, under spiritual attack. And as I said on our first session, that there are churches up in the hills, uh, Satanist churches, who are, are praying and fasting, worshipping Satan, and also in warfare against the churches. And uh, Waverley Christian Fellowship, along with a number of Pentecostal churches and churches that are uh, moving in the things of God, are under attack. We are on the hit list in the satanic churches up in the Dandenongs. So we're under warfare. So we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities, wicked spirits and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. And so attack the family, you attack the church. Should we get the church in order or should we get the families in order? Churches are out of order are generally families out of order. So get the family in order, the church will be in order. That's always God's order here. And so we realize we're under spiritual warfare. Everybody said amen to that. The second session, we particularly looked at the whole area of worship and warfare, and we looked at David as a character study, that David was a, a worshipper and a warrior, but we put it in that order, first a worshipper, then a warrior, and that uh, if we are weak in worship, we'll be weak in warfare, if we are strong in worship, we'll be strong in warfare, so David was first not a warrior, he was first a worshipper, then a warrior, and we looked at the seven worship scenes in the book of Revelation. We found together in our sessions that uh, Revelation is also a book of warfare, and it's also a book of worship, so worship and warfare. And then last Sunday, we particularly took up the thought, uh, we might say, of the order of Melchizedek, how the 24 elders that were gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb, related to God the Father, and related to the Lamb in the throne, 24 elders, they were kings and priests. As kings, they were warriors and as priests they were worshippers. So first a worshipper, a priest, and then a king, uh, a, a warrior. And that they had two articles in their hand, harps, which were taken out of the tabernacle of David, and incense, bowls of incense taken out of the tabernacle of Moses. So the harp symbolic of praise, and incense symbolic of prayer and intercession. Not one without the others. No use having the harp of worship and praise without the incense, or having incense of inter intercession and prayer without this. Prayer and praise, both ingredients of being intercessors before the Lord. And so in our summary we said the secret of spiritual warfare is spiritual worship. Worshippers then warriors. Our relationship uh, to, to God and the Lamb to the throne first personally and then our corporate relation uh, to the throne of God and the Lamb as a church, as the body. Now in just the few moments that we have and uh, maybe I could recommend that you uh, either borrow a tape from the first service where we did have at least 25 minutes we've only got about 10 here uh, you may pick up the last half. Some came for the message the first service and stayed for the worship this service not knowing that we had two services and so you can get the whole if you get the tapes. How many are glad that you got tapes to feed your tapeworms? 
All right, so today, uh, just briefly, we want to look at the church or introduce the thought of the church as God's army. We're in warfare. We have to be worshippers. We have to be warriors. We have to be kings and priests. have to have the harp and the incense. And now the church is God's army. Now, as we look at the epistle to the Ephesian church, uh, I believe in my study over the years that the, the Ephesian epistle, which is a prison epistle written by Paul in his first imprisonment in Rome, along with Colossians and so forth, that the uh, epistle to the Ephesian church is the epistle of the church, and it's actually, I believe, the pinnacle of Pauline revelation as far as it comes to the revelation concerning the church. And though the letter itself was addressed to the Ephesian believers, uh, most of the expositors and commentaries believe that the Ephesian epistle is an encyclical letter, in other words, a circular letter, and though it was sent to the Ephesian church, it was also a circular letter that was sent out to the various churches founded in Asia Minor, out from the great church of Ephesus. We remember in our studies in the book of Acts on Action Night, that when Paul tried to go to Ephesus and tried to go to Bithynia and Asia Minor, the Holy Spirit forbade him. It wasn't time for that territory. And I believe God has a time for every nation, every kindred, every tongue. There's a time for people. And how many know that it's Europe's time? What we're hearing this morning and just the whole overthrow, uh, just harvest time and, and, and multitudes just flocking into the kingdom of God. Someone mentioned to me yesterday, I think it was, very interesting thing that the, the uh, Russian government has asked America, and this is a very significant thing I thought, asked the uh, uh, American government not to allow or send in so-called Christian rock groups. I think that speaks volumes for itself because we all know from our previous sessions that there's a spirit behind music as either the Holy Spirit or evil, uh, evil, evil spirit and it might have good words but rotten music. So uh, anyway, I better not get onto that. Everybody said amen. amen. The rest of you said oh me. All right, so this uh, letter to the Ephesian church was a circular letter and sent to many pe uh, persons in many places and the churches that were founded out or planted from the great church of Ephesus. And so, uh, as I said, it's the pinnacle of Paul's revelation of the church. Now, the word church is used in the Ephesian epistle at least nine times and I'd like you at least for these few moments to at least look at the references to the church because of uh, what we need to say as we, as we wrap up. Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, if you haven't circled the word or underlined your Bible, uh, I underline pretty well everything, it's all so good. At least circle the word church in the Ephesian epistle. Alright, Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 22, we have the first use of the word church. And just in the context of it, Paul is uh, telling the Ephesians here in verse 19 that he wanted them to know what the exceeding greatness of the power of God was to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And here's the first use of the word church, and it put all things under his feet. How many are glad that everything's under his feet? Amen. That's why uh, the feet are on the body, so I don't care if you call me a heel. Because everything's under his feet. And the feet are the last part of the body born. When a baby is born, what's born first? 
The head is first born. The head is born first. The bo- you listen to what I'm saying here. The body follows. And the last members of the body to be born are the feet members. I'm just sidetracking here. But Jesus Christ as the head of the church is first born. Born first. And through this whole dispensation of the Holy Spirit, the body has been following. You and I are the last members of the body to be born, so to speak, at this end of the age. And it says that God will bruise Satan under your feet shortly and the feet are on the body. So how many are glad you're healed this morning? Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a clap. Amen. Yes. He'll bruise Satan under your feet shortly and the feet are on the body. So that's a great picture. The head born first, first born, and this is the age of the body. The body has been following. And there's more on that message than meets the ear. Okay. He put all things under his feet. How did that come in there? And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So fact number one, God has given Jesus Christ to be the head over all things of the church. He's the head, he's the brains. My brains are in my head. Are yours? So Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And as the head of the church, he's the brains behind the whole business. Uh, That helps me so much because sometimes my brain gets so busy and my thoughts chase one another around my skull like a nest of ants. And then I have to throw it up to the Lord and say, look, you're the head of the church. You're the brains. Do it, Lord. Oh, there's a rest in that, saints. You don't have to struggle and strive, say. It's his problem, ultimately. I'll do my little bit as a little toe. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. It is good, isn't it, John? That's good stuff, isn't it? Woo! I could get a Peter Morrow one here. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. Next use of the word church, verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, so principalities and powers where our warfare is, next Sunday I was hoping to get on to our three major enemies, not sure if we're going to make it, but principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the Jew. What's your Bible say? By the Gentile. Everybody say by the church. So, a lot of people looking for the Jews to do it. 144,000 Jews evangelists or something. No, 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 no. To the intent for this purpose that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the many manifold or the many-sided wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose. The church is not a last-minute invention because the Jew rejected the kingdom. Churches in the eternal purpose of God, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're either in Christ or we're in Adam. I'm glad I'm in Christ this morning. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Third use of the word church. So number one, Jesus is the head of the church. Number two, principalities and powers are going to know the wisdom of God through the church. Number three, Ephesians 3, 21. Unto him be glory, where? In the church. 
by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, past ages, present ages, ages to come, eternal ages, world without end. So glory in the church. I believe the Lord's been getting some glory in our worship this morning, don't you? Been getting glory around the communion tables. We've been lifting our hands and clapping and worshipping him and just rejoicing in him. Just a beautiful sense of the presence of God, a peaceful uh, aspect of the presence of God this morning. Under him be glory in the church. Number four, the next reference to the word church is Ephesians 5 verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the saviour of the body. So once again, Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So church, as a submissive wife to the bridegroom, the husband, uh, to the church, subject to Christ. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as... Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How many know that Christ loves the church this morning? So you've heard me say it before, I say it again. I don't like to listen to anybody, preacher or member, who runs down the church and says, Oh, the church, bunch of hypocrites in the church. I wouldn't go near the church. I just love the Lord. I don't want the church. Uh, The church is full of hypocrites and church is a failure. God's finished with the church. No, to touch the church is to touch his bride. He will never be finished with his bride. So Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it with all its imperfections. Because, you know, when you run down the church, you're running down yourself. Because you're part of the church. And so the church is his bride, the church is his wife. And see, if anybody ran down my wife, green smile, you're on candid camera, and start running her down, you know what I'd do? I'd punch him in the nose in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And then I'd repent. (laughs) So if I feel that way about my bride, what do you think the Lord feels about his church? I love her with with all her imperfections. (laughs) Let me finish that now. She loves me with all my imperfections and all my little idiosyncrasies. It's fun, isn't it, dear? (laughs) Let's get back to the Bible. Yeah, there's Bible. So don't let anybody run the church down. Because say, hey, you're touching Christ's bride. He loves the church with all her imperfections. Gave himself for it. I love the church with all its imperfections because I'm a member of it. 527, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. In Matthew 16, the concept is a victorious church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Ephesians, it's a glorious church. Glory us. Us will be in a glory us. Amen? A glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So he's got a lot of ironing to do. A lot of washing to do, get rid of the spots. He puts a hot iron on you, get out the wrinkles, any such thing. Going to be holy and without blemish. So he's going to have a glorious church, not of fears. You know, when, when I was married to my new wife and I was standing there on this tremendous, awe-inspiring night, I didn't see Reen come in the front door tearing down here in bikinis and her hair done done in curls, and say, oh, marry me, darling, quick, the enemy's after me. (laughs) 
Well, we have some funny concepts about the church. That Christ is going to come back and he's looking over the balustrades of heaven and say, look at my poor bride down there. She's got curling pins in. She's in bikinis. Uh, she's got wall paint all over her. Uh, uh, the devil's after her. I'd better rescue my bride by a little sneaky rapture before the bride falls apart. Do you think so? No, he's going to marry a glorious bride. When rain came, hallelujah. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. And you see, he's not going to cut down the garment to fit the bride. He's going to cause the bride to grow up to fit the garment. Hallelujah. Glad for that. I'm enjoying this. It's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of coming out different than the first service, isn't it? Eh? It, it's the, each service has a different spirit, you know. A, glo a glorious church. All right, verse 29, our time's up. No man ever yet hated the, his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So the Lord nourishes the church and cherishes the church. And then the last mention, the ninth reference to the church is in verse 20, uh, 32, when he's speaking about the marriage of Christ's church and taking the very words out of the mouth of Adam and Eve. When Adam was married to his bride, he said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And that was a prophecy in the, in the mouth of Adam when he woke up and found himself married. I wish that would happen to all our young people. We'd have no dating problems, no guidelines, no necking and petting and kissing and all that stuff. Phew, save us a lot of counseling. Can't, Save us a lot of cancelling. No, counselling, that's the word I'm after. And Paul says it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning the marriage of Christ and the church. Let me just give you this last thought. I can't rob you all together of what I gave in the first service. Otherwise, you might take your refund out of the offering bank, won't you? <laughs> In this pinnacle of revelation concerning the church, Paul uh, gives us five tremendous pictures of the church. And uh, in chapter 1, he sets forth the church in God's eternal purpose. That way back in the ages past, he predestined the church to adoption, and it would be holy and without blame before him in love, and that God had an eternal purpose before there was a Jew or a Gentile, God had an eternal purpose in mind. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, Paul presents the church as the temple of God and Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. That's a complete study in itself. And then chapter 3, he presents the church as the family and Christ as the firstborn son. That's a complete study in itself. Then chapter 4, he presents the church as the body and Christ is the head of the body. And that's, of course, a complete study in itself. And then chapter 5, the church is presented as the bride of Christ and Christ is the husband. And the picture that we're looking at is we are God's army. Chapter 6, uh, Paul presents the church as the army of the Lord and Jesus Christ is our captain. Now let me just uh, finish on this point here and we'll pick this up, God willing, next Sunday if we uh, have time. Uh, we don't have the everlasting gospel these days, do we? 
Paul, no doubt, when he's writing the Ephesian epistle there, at some time or another, he'd been chained to the Roman soldier and uh, he sees the armour, the sword and the helmet and the, and the shoes on the soldier and went through that whole picture of warfare uh, and uh, he got many spiritual lessons out of that as the church being God's army, the people of God being the army of the Lord. And uh, the, uh, as you study history, the Roman armies in the beginning, mighty, powerful Roman armies, disciplined, self-denial, unity, strength, submission to their generals and conquered the then known world with the armies, the Roman armies that they had. But uh, you just imagine that uh, no army could win a battle uh, if, if they were like a lot of churches today. How many have ever been in the Air Force? How many Blue Orchids here? Okay, I was a Blue Orchid six months after I joined the Air Force the war stopped. No thanks to me, of course. <laughs> and how many have been in the military? How many have been in the Navy? All right, so we know what it is. Now, you just imagine when the time comes for military parade uh, in the Air Force, you're on the tarmac there, you're called to parade and assemble on the tarmac uh, or the whole battalion out there. And now the officer in charge, he's bringing the general along and he's going to call out the, uh, the names of the troops and check out the roll call. And so he comes along here and he starts calling out the names. He says, all right, when I call your name, answer here, sir. Yes, sir. That's sharp and swift. And so he says... Okay, uh, Smith. Sir, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Here, sir. <laughs> uh, snap it. Spin it up. You know. Um, jo Jones. Here, sir. Fabianic. <laughs> he slept in, so he won't be here today. <laughs> Sheen. Sheen. Oh, he had trouble with the kids. Oh. Connor. Oh, he had a late night. He was feeling tired today, sir. Wolf. Yeah, he took a sickie today. White. Here, sir. Here, sir. Van Etten. Here, sir. Yeah, I knew. Uh, that's why I put him there. Uh, Wolf again. Mother-in-law trouble. Benvenue. Oh, he didn't feel like coming today. Field. Oh, he had a fight with his girlfriend last night, so he can make it. Ryan. Oh. <laughs> I'll have to crack what I had here. Took a day off and went to McDonald's. <laughs> Stokes. Oh, he said he'd be here in spirit, sir. <laughs> Chen. Uh, AWL. Now, do you think you'd get away with it in the army like that? And yet, look what we try to get away with in the church. Sunday morning. Roll call. General Connor. Captain Connor is here. Father Connor, whichever one you like. And I'm looking over the congregation. Where were you this morning? Oh, I was here in spirit. Well, I don't like preaching to spirits. Uh, what about you? Well, I watched the television last night and uh, it was a late night movie, three o'clock. Oh, oh, that's all right. Jesus doesn't mind. Jesus is cool. You know. Yeah, I slept in and had trouble with the kids and... Uh, yeah, I know Kevin Connors always at us to be in the prayer service, pre-service prayer, and he says the service starts with prayer, but uh, Kevin's got a good heart. He's soft in the head. Um, <laughs> and then some of those that come, yeah, well, what time's the service start? 
Well, it starts with prayer. Now, what time does the service start? It starts with, now, what time does singing start? I Prayer, you know, uh, on the, yeah. Uh, 20 to 10, oh, well, the singing should be over. In fact, they should have ta- taken up the tithes and offerings by then, so I'll escape that lot. I'll just get there in time for the sermon. In fact, I like Waverley as a smorgasbord church. And just pick a bit here and there. Now, I know none of you are like that. This is for everybody else who doesn't come. We're never going to win a war that way, so what sort of an army are we? We need to know we are conscripted. None of you are volunteers. When you accepted Christ, you were conscripted to the army. You need to be disciplined. You need to have strong self-denial. You need to have unity. You need to be, have submitted attitudes. You need to quit making excuses. So no use me talking about being in the army of the Lord and some of the things that I'm going to say when we really get into our enemies and conquering qualities. Everybody said Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.